0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland.
1: What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We got my man, Huston Hollister, CEO of HData, in today he's from Chicago. So, you know we have some kind of cold and gloomy weather here in Houston but you're probably looking at it and you're like this is nice and beautiful I weather. abandoned my overcoat <laughs> this morning because it's balmy here in Houston yeah. so uh that's a, tell us real quick about you know high level 40,000 foot view what is h data h data is setting out to digitize everything to do with energy regulation
0: you some of those who are listening probably ha- are familiar with the forms that midstream oil and interstate gas pipelines have to file it's all manual processes. We're getting rid of all the manual processes, and we're automating all the things people have to do with those forms. And it turns out, once you do that, regulatory work isn't just about complying with government rules anymore. It also can be a source of intelligence and value. Mm, and well, that's, that sounds awfully buzzwordy. I can break it down to a story.
1: Yeah, You know, let's uh, let's kind of open this up a bit, because at our Fuse conference, you know, two of our keynote speakers that we had on stage at the same time were... Toby Rice, who's the CEO of EQT, the largest natural gas producer in the United States, and then Michael Skelly, who, when we did the FUSE conference, I was asking, hey, who do we get to talk about building renewable assets? Everyone's like, Mike Skelly, Mike Skelly. And Toby had made a comment. He's like, yeah, you think it's hard to get a pipeline built in this country? He's like, try building a transmission line. And everyone uh, started laughing at that. So it's one of those
0: audiences that would laugh at that, that kind of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) It's the right kind of wonkery. You would assemble (laughs) the right crowd. It's a very niche (laughs) joke, but it hit with that, with that audience. And so, I mean, in conversations all the time where like somebody brings up interconnection cues and it's a joke (laughs) or, or somebody talks about, about gas pipeline reversals, which I've learned is a thing. And, and there's, there is a crowd
1: that finds jokes in, Something as wonky. Yeah, as Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of nerds like us uh, <laughs> running around. You just have to find where where we congregate, right? <laughs> and so, so with H data first, let's talk about your background. Before um, H data, um, give us uh, a little bit of history on yourself and uh, up to this point. I used to be, I started my career as a regulatory
0: lawyer, and that brought me to a place of furious rage. Uh, I went to work for the Securities and Exchange Commission during the 2008 financial crisis, and my job was to figure out what my agency was doing with all the forms that it got from companies. You might know that the SEC is the agency famous for missing Bernie Madoff and not catching his fraud. <laughs> yeah. The agency that's noteworthy for not noticing that Enron had off balance sheet entities. The agency that fails to properly, or have failed at that, in those times, to properly enforce the laws that are supposed to protect investors.
1: Yeah. You look at what's going on with FTX and the crypto sphere right now too. I mean, yeah. They have a track record of missing some pretty big things, right?
0: And it's full of good people. But the trouble is that the way that the agency was regulating hadn't gotten updated. And when I was a, a lawyer there, I discovered that we were collecting all these filings from public companies. They've got to give us their financial statements. And the lawyers and accountants in the SEC, I realized... We're printing out those forms from the public companies and double checking the math of the finances with a pencil and a calculator mm-hmm. and manually trying to find the next Enron. I was part of a task force that tried to fix that and we recommended that the SEC should digitize all that. Yeah, The SEC should take all the forms that are filed by public companies, the 10K and the 10Q, maybe some of the audience looks yeah. at public company finances sometimes and should digitize them and make every number into its own data field because that would mean we could apply analytics to find the patterns that will reveal the next fraud. Yeah. The SEC did not do that. I resigned from the SEC. I walked up Capitol Hill with my resume. I walked into offices of members of Congress, and I said, please hire me so I can torment the SEC for not being modern. (laughs) And one of them did. Uh, Two hours after I did that, I don't know how to get a job on Capitol Hill because for me, it worked out this way. Two hours after I did that, I got a call from the office of Congressman Darrell Issa from California. Congressman Issa hired me, and I spent a couple of years Trying to pass laws to force uh, my former colleagues <laughs> at the SEC to stop using document-based forms for all the hundreds of different things that public companies have to file, and to start using data instead. Yeah, uh, we got a bill that was got, got a bill introduced, didn't get it passed, and so I resigned again. I started a group in DC that, to try to convince regulatory agencies that they should do this full scale—that every regulatory agency, whatever kind of information it collects from business ought to use data and not documents. And that's where we get to the regulated energy industry. In 2015, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which is in charge of regulating parts of the energy industry, especially midstream oil pipelines, interstate gas pipelines, but not the upstream and not the intrastate. So it's it's chunks of what we all work on. Yeah. It's not the whole picture. Uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission got interested in doing this and began in 2015 to go through a process of taking all the complex forms. I'm I'm going to tell you the story about how they used to get filed. Yeah, do it, please. All the complex forms and turn them into data. And that that started then, and that brought us to what H data is now, which I can talk about in in a minute. But I am hoping that some folks who listen to the podcast... Are energy accountants, and it's it's quite likely there are some because they will have some residue of pain <laughs> from the way that the FERC used to collect these things. So these are these are documents. There's there you put in your finances if you're a pipeline. Um it's a special kind of accounting, of course. It's yeah. different from other accounting you have to get specially trained on it. And until October 2021 the FERC required every pipeline to bootleg a copy of Microsoft Visual Fox Pro, which Microsoft doesn't support anymore. Like this, this <laughs> software that it has no support. You had to, you had to download an illegal copy, I guess, illegal-ish copy yeah, of it. Yeah. You had to get the special Microsoft Visual Fox Pro that Microsoft won't sell you. And you had to install that on your local desktop. Nothing is cloud, nothing yeah. is cloud. <laughs> and you had to take your spreadsheet, where everything lives, and manually type every number of the thousands of numbers into the Microsoft Visual Fox Pro. And then you had to hit a button. You had to review it manually. And then it had to go upward to the FERC. And when it went to the FERC, you'd think that when the FERC was getting it in software, they would then be able to apply, you know, analytics to it. No, they did not. They would smash it down into a PDF document and put stamps on it and stuff. (laughs) And then if you wanted wanted to go look at your form that you had filed to see, to confirm you had filed it or to do comparisons with other pipelines, uh, you could download the PDFs and manually hunt again. Yeah. That's how it worked. It used to work. The FERC knew they had to... It's challenges. pretty funny that,
1: they, yeah, they go through all the... Like, you'd have to jump through all these hoops to digitize it. It gets to a FERC, and then they compress it back down and to PDF. Uh, down, smash PDF. PDF. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's how it was um, when I started working with uh,
0: some folks that are dear friends now at the FERC. And I was running this nonprofit group that was just trying to get every agency to do this. And to their great credit... The FERC was one of the first agencies in the federal government, maybe third out of third overall, and the first one that wasn't a financial agency to start trying to figure this out, how to modernize regulation. And I'm I warn you, I'm going to go into more wonkery. I like hearing the (laughs) wonkery.
1: This is a world that I don't get to play around in much. And so thankfully, um, so I love I love hearing about the inefficiencies. The FERC set up the structure that
0: works so well. It makes every number in those forms that the pipelines have to fi- file into its own data field, and that ripples across the whole industry in beautiful ways. It makes it possible to automatically produce the form, like TurboTax <laughs> makes it possible to automatically analyze it, uh, like you could with Bloomberg or something, yeah. um, and and makes it possible to combine those things. Yeah. So the FERC the FERC had decided to do this. I was running the trade association. I started trying to convince uh, people in the Energy startup world. Hey, this is, the, this is an opportunity. You could build the TurboTax of FERC. Yeah. I, uh, I looked around um, the, the startup world. Nobody did. I tried to convince some VCs to initiate it themselves. Nobody did. And I remember the moment, August 2020, during the pandemic, I was volunteering at a beer festival. <laughs> uh are all good ideas. A beer up. festival inside of a prison yard. <laughs> It's actually, if, if, you've, if you've seen the Blues Brothers, it's the prison that that was filmed in.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> I was
0: volunteering at a beer festival. It's in Joliet, Illinois, my okay. hometown outside yeah. Chicago. Uh, we actually brought the Blues Bro- the original Blues Brothers back to that same festival a couple That's years later. It's cool. one of our finest moments. <laughs> I was at the Blues Brothers Prison Yard Beer Festival. I remember looking up at the sky and thinking about this problem, like, I know this is going to come. I know that the, the FERC is making this change. It's going to allow the incredible digitization of the energy industry. Now, at this point, I didn't know anything about energy, so I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Um, but I tried to persuade other folks to do it. I remember looking up at this guy and suddenly realizing, wait, I should try this. I should do this. Yeah. I've started an organization before. I haven't done a startup, uh, but I, I know what the digital part of it's going to be like. So let's try it. Let's try to learn energy and see if there is a way to make life easier for the people that are groaning under the weight of, of energy regulation. Yeah. So August 2020 is when it began.
1: So that's awesome. One, um, love that you found the motivation and inspiration at a beer festival. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's some there's some meta-level uh, inspiration. Yeah, you found that a,
0: the, the beer festival vibe facilitates creativity. It
1: does, uh, 100%. In I a mean. way that maybe even like a high-class wine festival might not. Yeah. yeah I guess you've already made it if you're doing a wine festival. Yeah, that's you're probably not thinking about things. You're just enjoying life at that point, right? Have, you, have y'all considered a mead festival? <laughs> I haven't considered a mead festival. <laughs> so this is... Uh, You know, super interesting talking about the transformation of FERC and the way that they're processing their data. And the way that you saw it was essentially, you know, they're building kind of like layer zero for the data. And now, hey, we can start building an application on top of that. You know, the turbo tax of uh, regulatory. Yeah, layer zero is the right way to put
0: it. And I'll bet some of those who listen to this podcast have dealt with this in other, other fashions. If you're working on tech in energy or in any field, it's really important for the data to live outside of the systems. Mm -hmm. If the data can be properly defined, like with a a taxonomy or a structure of some kind, uh, then the systems, uh, the data is independently defined in that way. The systems can just refer to it and automatically change whenever the data changes. And this is what the FERC did. They adopted what's called a taxonomy. It's like just a thing that specifies what all the line items of all the forms are. And that means they can change the taxonomy and all of the systems that cover energy accounting and, Energy regulatory reports—they just change automatically. Yeah. Uh, we have a reporting tool now that if the FERC adds, adds a line item to its form, which they do sometimes, no problem. Our compliance tool just automatically bloop, pops the stuff in.
1: Yeah. So you start H Data. You started it in 2020. Started in August 2020. Okay. Or cool. I,
0: I was already doing a consulting firm. It was already called H Data. Yeah. I have this conversation that recurs every so often with investors. Why is it called H Data? <laughs> it. I named it after myself, but it was when it was, it was a consulting firm. Yeah. Um. And so I now it feels kind of egotistical,
1: and so I try to pretend that the H stands for helping. <laughs> there you go. You can make it very hel- helpful data. H can stand for whatever you want it to H, stand for. Exactly. <laughs> no, I love that story. So let's talk about what H data actually does. Um, you know, it sounds like you can help in regulatory with pipelines, uh, with utilities, um, things of that nature. So first, let's talk about the verticals that y'all actually cover when it comes to regulatory and realize that you're talking to someone that doesn't come from the regulatory, uh, world. So break it down, um, in that, in that sense. And then let's talk about like, um, what, what the tool can actually do.
0: Yeah. Think about, um, in the pipeline world. So we're talking about midstream pipelines, midstream oil, interstate Mm -hmm. gas. You usually have financial management, the folks that are in charge of tracking the tracking expenses and tracking operations and figuring out where the capital expenditures are going to go, the finance office. Uh, since this is a regulated business, there's the second, there's a gigantic regulatory vertical in most of these companies as well. It's the people that are in charge of making sure that, uh, we're complying with all the regulations and that if we are, if, if we're operating under, um, government rules of some kind, if we're operating under a tariff uh, for a particular pipe, we are complying with the rules of that. And we're proposing extensions to that. And we're maintaining a good relationship with our regulator. Mm -hmm. And then third, there's usually somebody in charge of making sure we make money. Uh, of somebody in charge of business development, yeah uh, trying to go after the shippers to um, convince more people to move their stuff through our pipe, yeah, all three of those can make use of this regulatory information in interesting ways. I guess first in in the case of finance, they've also got to file it, so they have to they have to create the form and submit it to the government, but then beyond that, there is Incredible intelligence that's available in these forms that has been untapped, an untapped resource up until now. Yeah. Intelligence on yourself, intelligence on your peers and competitors. And I i have fun examples of that. How yeah, we're so only just
1: scratching the surface. Yeah, let's talk about that because that sounds like what you really get passionate about is like the analytics. You know, once you have this data, what insight can you gather from that? And so it seems like that's probably a heavy focus for H data. And so let's talk about, you know, what can't, what kind of insight can you gain from from this information?
0: Uh, I've got many examples. I'll take one from today. I was meeting with uh, the business lead for a gas pipeline, and this person was telling me that they, they track all their contracts that they've got with their shippers, of course, for their pipeline. And they, they know when they're going to expire and they, when they have to be renewed and stuff. And they also know if they've got extra capacity, they know uh, what shippers they want to go after for business development. Um, and they kind of know... Um, just because everyone talks to everyone, they know what contract, where those shippers are currently, Mm -hmm. they don't really have it systematic. There's a form that every pipeline files with the federal energy regulatory commission. It's called the 549 B 549 Bravo. There's a form where you got to list all your current contracts and it was this impenetrable PDF, um, we discovered in a partnership that we've recently announced with Boardwalk Pipelines, or excuse me, a joint development initiative that we recently announced with Boardwalk Pipelines, we discovered that the information in that form could be scraped. And so we scraped it. And we were able to connect it with the information in the, in the core annual forms that we also deal with. Mm-hmm. And so this means that for the first time in history – we put all of these contracts, which are publicly available, but impenetrable information yeah. onto a dashboard, allowing anybody to see for the whole industry, here are the ones that are about to expire. Here are the ones that my pi- pipeline has. Here are the ones that everybody else's pipeline has. Uh, here are the shippers. Here are the most prolific shippers. Here are the ones that are contracting with multiple pipelines. Every, web, every, every node in that web of relationships and contracting is now revealed. Yeah, And so the person we were talking to today got excited that instead of having to live inside their brain we could develop, we could deliver this digitally yeah. everywhere to everybody.
1: I mean, it's very similar. You're familiar with Drilling Info in Paris? Yeah. I mean, they did this back in the day for upstream uh, regulatory filings. You know, you could go find the data publicly, but... You got to go through the Texas Railroad Commission or the Oklahoma Corporation Commission. It's super fucking painful. Exactly right. Their websites and that's. I mean, they have websites now. They didn't have websites back then, and you can find the information, but it's just very burdensome. And so, drilling info essentially made this intelligence platform that would um, scrape all that data and clean it up. And then you can start running analytics on, on top of that.
0: Yeah. So if you're familiar with, for those that are familiar with the changes that the availability of those tools in the upstream industry brought about, I think what we're trying to do in midstream and interstate gas is, is quite similar. Yeah. One enormous bet though, that we decided to make The story of our company was we ended up, uh, raising a tiny bit of capital cobbling together an initial tool, getting a couple of customer contracts. And then we got into the Techstars Alabama Energy Tech Accelerator, sponsored by Southern Company, which is in Birmingham, Alabama, which is a place that I now love. Yeah. And that helped us to raise our initial $3.1 million seed round in December 2021. Awesome. Right after we did that, and that's why I'm getting to the seed round, is that we had to make an enormous bet. Yeah. Uh, We had to decide if we were going to, if we were going to try to be the TurboTax of regulated pipelines, or if we were going to try to be the Bloomberg or Inveris of regulated pipelines, and we decided to try to do both. Yeah. Our platform both files the stuff and also analyzes it. And we do that for a specific reason. Um, that hasn't happened yet, but we realized that if we can handle both the filing and the analysis, then we can end up being a platform between the pipelines and the regulators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can, we, we can invite our customers. We can, we can, it means we can offer our, the filing part much cheaper because we can... Um, once something gets filed on our platform, then we have access to it, and yeah. it can go into our database as long as it's public and we have permission to do it. Yeah, and we, we protect the stuff that's that is yeah um, that that's confidential. Yeah. So it, enormous bet. It's the most expensive contract I've ever signed yeah. to develop uh, reporting alongside of the analysis. Yeah, and we have all these cool ideas has never been done in energy or anywhere else, any other industry of combining the job of filing the form with also analyzing it.
1: Yeah, no, I love that you brought up you know, Bloomberg Terminal as well. You know, there's a lot of like, you have a lot of other successful startups like, uh, what is it, Coifin, I think, that, um, you know, they scrape like public filings from uh, companies and aggregate that data, but it's all financial related stuff. And, um, you know, for y'all, it sounds like one, making the big bet and attacking both of those. I'm sure there's a lot of challenges and trying to build those out there's challenges in both. You can yeah. mess up both. Yeah. And we for could sure. mess up and we've definitely messed up many things along but the way. I, I love man, we've taken some <laughs> huge fucking bets in digital auditors. <laughs> <wildcatters. laughs> I'm <laughs> like, hey, if this doesn't work, it kills the company. And we just go try to execute to the best of our ability. So you find that like,
0: when you're making decisions as the head of the company that every every choice you make feels like it could kill you.
1: Yeah, it does. Like that's part of building a startup and you uh I don't know if you don't have confidence in yourself to go execute those things then you know what are you what are you doing in <laughs> this true. position right so i mean when you start a startup you're looking to build something big and i think that you swing for the fences and so i actually like the i like that you guys are doing that what i also like about it is that you know if you build out the um, you're building out the reporting piece mm-hmm. and you're building out the data and analytics piece Building out that reporting piece, like you're saying, is that you have access to all of this information. Obviously, you know you're not going to disclose anything that's proprietary, but it gives you direct access to clean and um, first-party data. And so, I like that. And I mean, no one's built it, and so might as well be be all right. We uh, we so. think it's possible, and we think we can make it. We can make life
0: easier and better for the accountants that work for regulated pipelines by enriching their filing experience with intel yeah. when you're working on a particular number we haven't done this yet yeah and i'm kind of stepping on our product announcement yeah. but imagine <laughs> looking at a number when you're working on it in your TurboTax and being able to automatically see the history of that from what you filed mm-hmm. in the previous quarter or the previous year in five years or 11 years back yeah that's what yeah. is possible if we enrich the filing experience i, I know it. we're getting so wonky like this is this is subject matter that can be very boring no, but it's
1: transformation that can be very interesting. Yeah, imagine absolutely. enriching the following experience. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't find anything about regulatory to be necessarily <laughs> exciting, but I find new <laughs> solutions to be exciting. And so, well, let's uh, free people up. I talked to yeah. so
0: many people who. Um, it, it's funny. There's 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 basically one. In every company, there's, there's a lady in this gas company. There's a, there's a gentleman that I've met at this consulting firm. There's usually one person who knows all about the regulatory forms. Yeah. And when management needs something answered about Intel, you know, what's our competitors or peers doing? And it comes out of those regulatory forms. They always go to that person. Yeah. You find that one person and you realize they're brilliant. They know how to find patterns in regulatory forms, but almost all of their time. Is taken up with manually chugging
1: through the numbers they'd and transcribing. They become a bottleneck. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Or what happens sometimes? We, we've got two former chairs of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission on our board of advisors. We have the former, we have the Obama one, John Wellinghoff, and the Trump one, uh, Neil Chatterjee. Wellinghoff, Chairman Wellinghoff, told us that when he was um, requesting analyses of his own forms <laughs> at the agency, he would purposely hold back. He would. He would hold back from his requests and not ask for all the analysis that he wanted because he knew it was taking up people's yeah. time. I think probably if you're at all empathetic in the oil and gas industry, not everybody is, but if you're if you're an empathetic leader in an oil or gas company and you're asking for analysis, you hold off if you if you don't want to overburden your poor analysts. Yeah. Well, now suddenly we're going to turbocharge the analysts. We're going to liberate them from all this manual labor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you look at you have your throttled you know you're cutting back your your bandwidth right whether you're you're empathetic or not i mean people can only do so much work in any given day and so you as an operator or management team can't get all the information that you need just because of restraints and so that's huge like i love solutions where it frees up time and bandwidth and increases efficiency so doesn't matter if that's in regulatory, if that's upstream oil and gas. Um, so that's pretty cool. I yeah, didn't know. That. Believe I think probably
0: some of your your portfolio companies and or your uh, your participants are probably discovering this. Um, I read economists, or mostly read Twitter feeds of economists, yeah. uh, <laughs> suggesting that um, a lot of the economic growth from the past half century or so is from improving efficiency, and we've wrung all the efficiency we can out of business. totally untrue. There's so many knowledge jobs that require typing a thing into a thing. And here in regulation, we got a bunch of them. We can get rid of all those knowledge tasks and elevate the people, not fire them, but elevate them so they can use their brains and help management make better choices. And that means that I can draw a direct line from regulation to lifting people out of poverty. I can draw a direct line from fixing regulation to human flourishing. And I'll bet that's true of a lot of people who work
1: on Data-oriented startups in this energy industry. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty bold claim to think that we have maxed out on efficiency. When you see technologies like OpenAI and ChatGPT, and what that's going to enable, I feel a little threatened do, by so. that, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah,
0: and and I I can kind of empathize now with the folks that sometimes sometimes folks feel threatened when
1: we say we can automate these these tasks. Yeah, um, and but, I feel a little threatened by ChatGPT. Yeah, I mean, the way I see a lot of technologies is it enables humans to do more things faster um that's usually how it works out and so it's even like on drilling rigs like you go out to an offshore drilling rig everything's automated but you still have rig hands out there working everything and so there's not a lot of cases where automation is just completely displaced humans yeah. so um so you know you mentioned that you guys raised a three million dollar um seed round you went through tech stars and birmingham which is really cool. I don't know. There was a TechStars in Birmingham. Um,
0: yeah, uh, I would encourage those that are working with an early stage company that might benefit from accelerator. I'll, I'll be frank. I was skeptical about accelerators yeah. until the fall of 2021. I saw yeah. a lot of accelerators. Why, why? Why were you skeptical? I saw a lot of accelerators that didn't seem to necessarily add any extra value. Yeah, and I or I didn't see I didn't see where the value would come from because I was on the outside of it. Yeah, I will tell you that being part of that accelerator for those three months. Changed my life permanently. Wow. I have never been. Part of it is, I mean, this is probably true for you too, Colin. I realized that my my profession wasn't actually being a regulatory lawyer; it was being a founder. Mm-hmm. And I was around other people who weren't working on energy regulation. There was one person who was creating a, a a new form of wind turbine, for instance. She's brilliant. I realized that I had so much in common with her and with my other fellow members of the cohort and our accelerator because we were all founders. And we all had the same, the same emotional hurdles to get over, mm-hmm. and the same confidence that we had to build. And that was way more powerful than if I had been with a bunch of other energy regulatory people. Yeah, that is just you can't you can't quantify that exactly. Yeah, but it is the most supportive that I have ever felt in any professional. Yeah, experience. sometimes I feel like I live in a little bubble because I have so many
1: founder friends. Yeah, and including you know, people who are doing things that are not anywhere near your subject matter. Right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I have founder friends and all different aspects of, uh, tech. And, um, you know, the one thing that's constant, uh, with founders is their level of optimism and energy. And so I'm always like surrounded by high energy, highly optimistic people.
0: How do you generate up then, optimism when things are dark? I saw the yeah. tweet
1: that you have framed on the wall over in the digital wild I oh, yeah, office. Like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Maybe you can describe that tweet.
1: Well, well one, yeah. So there's this tweet, uh, from this twitter account that's anon and uh hates me for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> i don't know why uh, man he tweeted he ran this i poll. wish i had a twitter hater yeah he, I, I got I, a I'm lot envious. of them <laughs> i have a lot of them he, he ran this poll he's like how much longer until digital wildcatters runs out of money and <sighs> I think you posted that like a year and a half ago. And so what were, were just,
0: the dates that were voted for? Uh, so one it was a vote, was, right. Yeah, was, so oh.
1: one was under a year, one was one to two years, and then it was like three years plus. And so, so option A has been yeah. defeated. Oh I'm fucking <laughs> destroying these people right now. And so I'm fueled by hate. So the more that people hate me, like the more powerful I become and the stronger I am. And so I think Kelly Clarkson wrote a song about that. <laughs> oh yeah? <laughs> Kelly Clarkson's not the person I'd look to for inspiration on that, but I'll have to check <laughs> that. Out. What doesn't kill <laughs> so, you makes yeah, you stronger. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) and so um yeah you know i every once in a while like in real life i run into some people that you know i'm just like oh yeah forget that not everyone's a founder but you know going back to your point of like you realizing that you're a founder um you made a comment earlier where um you talked about knowing that this product needed to be built but you didn't come from energy and I like that as well because I think a lot of you know I, I still I, do a lot of faking in conversations when acronyms are mentioned. I have to confess. Okay, so sorry one, to
0: all the people that I talk to when I do business development. So
1: we have a pretty strict policy at Digital Walkheaders of. No usage of acronyms because I think they're extremely inefficient for human communication. Did I say FERC? And, I said FERC, and uh, <laughs> that that's fine. You uh, he, he said the real name many times, uh, but the energy industry is the worst when it comes to acronyms. But you know, when I started um, roughnecking uh, back when I was uh, you know 19 years old, I was like. You know, my mission was I wanted to become the biggest oil man to come out of Texas, and I wanted to learn how to drill wells. I wanted to learn everything about production and completions because I wanted to start an oil company. And then finally realized, it's like, hey, when you want to start a business, when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have to know everything about everything. You go build a great team and people that are specialists and that are badasses in their own right. And it's your job to be a leader and have vision of what can be built, but you don't have to understand every little thing.
0: And so, so it's your job to motivate people to take action. It's your job to push against. I think, especially in a startup, this is it's death. Yeah. to have inaction. It's better to make a wrong choice. Yeah, than to than to just sit there. Hundred percent. And sometimes it can be hard to. I mean, I don't always ever. I don't ever know exactly the future or know the right answer. Yeah. And it's terrifying to
1: take a stand when it could be the wrong one. Yeah. And you have to do that. You got to push your team to do that. I always do find it interesting, though, when I run across uh, founders that are attorneys in <laughs> a former life, though, because just by nature, you're risk averse. Yeah. <laughs> so um, has that been, was that any amount of challenge for you in your mindset uh, towards building a startup or were you just not kind of confined by the uh, parameters of how attorneys usually think? <laughs>
0: There's little bits of being an attorney that I still, that I still use. I mean, I, I read our contracts Yeah, we have, we have lawyers, but I, I read our contracts and I can, I can,
1: I, I can, I have patience enough to review them. Dude, that's what but, I, I wish I had yeah. that skill set. I hate contracts. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with this. I at kind all. of like sitting <laughs> with my customer
0: contracts and be, it just feels so familiar. Or when I meet with our lawyers, I like yeah. it because yeah. I was that yeah. and, and I have empathy for them from yeah. that. But, um, I think what I more than that, what I, what I am grateful for, for the, for the legal part of my background is that I like words. Yeah. I'm, I really enjoy words and I enjoy the different shadings of meaning you can come with in words and enjoy trying to, trying to express yourself in different ways. I enjoyed, uh, tossing and, um, a, a strange word into an otherwise commonplace sentence. (laughs) And I, I enjoy that part. Yeah. And, and that you can really use if you're needing to communicate
1: with different groups of people all the time. Yeah, no, I love that. So for y'all's team, who is your team made up of? What type of people are you looking for at H data? Like who, you know, who, Do you need to carry out that idea obviously technologists that can build out software but then are you building up a team that comes from the regulatory side um you know from utilities from gas companies what does that look like our team does
0: not come from energy and that is that's actually really interesting and i i didn't really think about it until this moment when you asked Uh, most of our team comes from doing interesting things with data and then we try to use empathy to talk to the energy industry. And of course, we now have a lot of advisors and customers who are in the industry. Um, but it probably gets back to what you were talking about, the, the, need, to, the need to be willing to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other half and co-founder, it is like a marriage, is Yuval Lubowich. Yuval is my opposite. Uh, I'm, I can fly off the handle. Yuval's, Yuval's calm. Yeah. <laughs> and we prop each other up. He's our co-founder and chief technology officer and the two of us work on the business with it's a pretty good division it's the the technical side of it building the platform inventing amazing new things for the platform on the one hand and then it's getting out and selling it and trying to be an evangelist for it and uh, working with the customers on the other side yeah the, the the choice of co-founder is it's the most important hire that i've ever made the most important choice that i've ever made it didn't have full information but uh I guess if I, if I were asked why or what, what governed um, when Yuval and I came together to co-found this company was that uh, when I had my first few conversations with him, um, he asked all the tough questions. He, and he knew what they were having been a founder himself. Yeah. And he, uh, and he got me through all of the, all the worst things that could happen. And of course, I was trying to persuade him to come aboard. <laughs> but he, he understood what those bad things were and he had um he had empathy and understanding for them having been a founder and um wanted to just wanted to dig into them alongside me it was like we were working alongside together already yeah rather than in an interview situation
1: yeah no i love that especially you know a lot of people always ask you know how do you find a co-founder find a technical co-founder and i think you know like when you find the right person like you have good intuition and you kind of get that gut feeling and if you're not hiding
0: things from them yeah if you if you want to share with them even the worst parts there's definitely uh, this is probably true for any founder that that you've got in your community here at digital wildcatters Uh, there are a lot of things where um your things that you're worried about and you can't share those worries with anyone because you have to keep motivating them yeah there's and and things that they can't all these terrible things that you got in your head that could happen in your business—they can't physically happen. They can't all happen. Some of them are mutually exclusive of, of each other. Yeah. But you've got them, and you worry about them all the time, and you can't share that. Yeah. The co-founder is somebody with whom you could share, and you do share yeah. all of that. Yeah. As as dark as it can
1: get. Well, I think. Um, and trans- if you got if you I got somebody, tra- I think transparency is the foundation yeah. of trust, right? And if you've so- got somebody
0: that with whom you can do that, that's your yeah. co-founder.
1: Yeah. I love that. So, how many people do you have on the team? 16 full-time. 16 full-time. Awesome. And uh, you have lots of people in Birmingham. We've got five in Birmingham.
0: Um, The rest are spread all over the country. The farthest away is in Scotland. Cool. Oh, I got a
1: a Scottish (laughs) on the team. I love it. (laughs) So, um, you know, for y'all, you're two years into this, um, you know, going on third year when did y'all get out of TechStars? uh december 2021 okay
0: cool and we had this magnificent experience uh just sometimes things align we were able to announce the closure of our round at the demo day where we graduated from TechStars. Oh, that's a cool
1: experience and we
0: we flew our our investors who were signing the checks digitally that day flew in and we gathered everybody and we all got in that stage it was a most amazing pumped up moment. Yeah, no, I was going to
1: say, but that was a, a pretty cool moment for y'all. We were excited for about 20 minutes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got stressed <laughs> because now we're, now we have to do all the things that we said we could do. And yeah. that was December, 2021. We had some amazing wins in 2022. We also had some really tough times. Yeah. Uh, our investors know this. There were some months when we didn't sign a single contract. Yeah. That was a terrible, terrible feeling. Yeah. Like everything's going down the tubes. Yeah. Uh, then there were also some things that went really well. Yeah. And we had a really, really good fourth quarter. I
1: think that's um, a very important thing, not to get too philosophical here, but a lot of um, people probably think that growth and success is just on a straight, linear path. And, you know, out of transparency for digital wallcatters, I mean, we had an awesome year last year. You know, we threw revenue. But guess what? We had two near-death experiences from cash flow crunches that almost killed the business. Yeah. And so- You know, you have those highs and you have those lows and things could be running on all cylinders, but. And the highs you
0: imagine aren't really the ones that ever happen, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you are, you feel like you're chasing after this euphoria of, I don't even know what it is, like an exit or something. Yeah. But I guarantee you'll be happy with, for 20 minutes with an exit. No, that's. um, That's not what it's actually. That shouldn't be the goal.
1: It's funny. I was listening to this podcast. I don't know if you know Morning Brew or not uh, on the newsletter, but they sold to Business Insider for 75 million a couple of years ago. And. I was just listening to this podcast a few weeks ago with the founder and he's like, it was the most anti-climatic thing ever selling our business. He's like, you know, we're on a, like a zoom call and they're like, Hey, we're wiring over the money. And he's like me and my co-founder mm-hmm. Austin are sitting in the living room and they wired over the money and it hits. And it was just, that was it. He's like, yeah. it's like the most anti-climatic thing. That's ever. not the and thing so-
0: I need to, I need to like absorb this. Cause I still, I still tend to imagine being able to do an exit or being able to to grow. We have this aspiration of I'll I'll talk about this more in a little bit if there's time, like an aspiration of doing this regulatory stuff in other verticals as well outside yeah. of energy, because yeah. it can be help anybody anywhere. Um, but I that's a that's a good, a good word for me that I need to I need to kind of absorb. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you the moments that have actually the ones that I, I wish I could live for more, or the ones that have actually been the most meaningful have been about cultivating others. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of these things happened yesterday. Um, I was, we had an event in Austin and some of us couldn't make it. And some of us were late because of Delta. Yeah. And, uh, so the, a couple of my team members had to do a demo without having planned on it. And they, um, and I watched them doing it. They were fantastic. Yeah. And they did it with a different flavor that I wouldn't have come up with. Yeah. And they were, and they, the audience was spellbound. Love it. And I realized that being able to cultivate a team in this way, it is, it is the, it is the most satisfying thing. It's more satisfying than when that $3 million seed round came in.
1: Yeah. The, um, you know, I used to be one that thought a lot about valuations and exits and spent a lot of time in my calculator because I am a capitalist. I like making money. But I think when I had my transformation as a real founder and a leader was when I stopped thinking about that stuff and really focused on um, our mission and cultivating people within our organization. And so it's fucking awesome when I see them win and yeah. see them overcome challenges and adversity. And so for me personally, I just enjoy the journey. Like yeah. I enjoy getting to wake up every day and do something that I like doing and building a company and an impactful uh platform and so i know if you build something special um economic returns will um take care of itself in the future so i
0: do worry what happens if you build something special and the economic returns don't take care of themselves that happens
1: that happens every once in a while um you know but i think if you grow a business sustainably this could get to like a whole bigger macro level of how startups have been building over the last few years you know raising mega rounds chasing growth at all costs Mm -hmm. Um, and the problem when you chase growth at all costs and raise, you know, VC round after V C round is that you hit a valuation where, you know, you get past a hundred million dollars in valuation, your pool of potential acquirers shrinks yeah. pretty significantly. And so you get to a billion dollars plus. I mean, there's very few companies out there that can actually acquire you. And so, um, you know, if you're building a company, I think the sweet spot for if you, you want to get acquired is thirty to a hundred million dollars. If not, you better have a path to uh, sustainable free cash flow to where um, you can actually pay out over time. Because, yes. you know if you're just chasing growth and raising capital to do that, you may hit a point of there is no liquidity for you. So I don't want to get like too high on the uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the soapbox <laughs> on that one, but yeah, you know those things can those things can happen. So um, you know, for this show, obviously we have a ton of people. And midstream um, and probably quite a bit of them that are in regulatory and accounting. Um, if they want to find H Data, where can they find you guys at on the internet?
0: They'll find us at HData.us. They'll find us at digital wildcatters conferences. There and they'll go. probably <laughs> find us at the wonky conferences that they go to if they go to the liquid energy pipeline association for instance
1: they will find us doing karaoke <laughs> there you go i love it so guys we'll leave a uh link to the website and the show notes uh, you can be sure to check them out there and like hunter said I spoke at fuse so you can check them out at digital wildcatters uh conference in the future i'm sure Dude, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, schooling us up on this. This has been very interesting. Colin, thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to Digital Wildcatters. Thank you, man. If y'all like this show, please share it with a friend. Share it with all of your regulatory nerds and pipeline accountants out there. Make sure to leave us five-star reviews if you're listening on Spotify and Apple. We will catch you on the next episode.